Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my side quest, Ben Bumhoff. Well, hello, Ryan. How are you doing on this fantastic quest-filled day? I am doing wonderful. I just had dinner. It was delicious. I've got my coffee, a.k.a. my Dr. Pepper, and I'm ready to talk some D&D. Hey, that sounds great. I've got my coffee next to me, which is also known as a uh, creamed caffeinated beverage. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. I'm pumped. I am amped. We've got some great stuff to talk about tonight. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to, from, from our DM side of things, we're going to talk a little bit about story and plot versus player backstories versus side quests. Basically, uh, kind of just the whole uh, structuring a campaign, how to keep things going well, how to keep things flowing well. And then from our player perspective, we're going to talk about the monk, which I've, <laughs> I've personally never played a monk. I know a lot of people who have. I have a player in my campaign who plays one. Um, and I didn't realize just quite how multifaceted they were until I started doing a lot more research for, for this episode. So I'm, I'm excited. This is, this is going to be good. Me too. Because like, I'm not going to step out on the limb and say that the monk is the best class, but it is definitely one of the funnest in, in my experience, at least. Very versatile. Yes. Very. Incredibly so. So uh, we're, we're both excited to, to talk about that one. Uh, but first, we're, we're going to kind of dive into story and plot. And so uh, this, one's, this one's really interesting because uh, part of this discussion has, has stemmed from um, one of the games I play in and just kind of uh, just observing certain things, certain things happening with, with player stories and... Um, weaving and balancing because as a dm especially if you're a new dm it, it's it's hard like dming is not uh is it's it's work yes. it's work like not to say that being a player in a game is not work but when you're a player in a game you have a very specific focus um you're you're focusing on your character and your stuff as a dm you're focusing on not only the player's stuff, but on the broad world overall. Uh, and possibly if, if you're not, especially if you're not running like a module or something, you're focusing on creating everything for, for the campaign. And it's not going to be quite the same from game to game that you run either because your characters, your players are going to have different backstories. They're going to have uh, different stuff. Your overarching plot lines are going to be different. And, there's a lot of, uh, there, there can be a lot of stuff involved in weaving together the stuff you as the DM want to do as in, okay, this is my world. Here's these overarching plot lines that I want the, the characters to get involved in. Hopefully they will. Mm -hmm. How do I make these interesting enough for them to want to be involved in them? Because that's that part, and that's that's one of the the interesting things that one of the the games I'm playing is is struggling with a little bit is uh, an overabundance of story, an overabundance of plot, so much so that the characters aren't necessarily invested enough 
in any particular thing to really draw them. And so there, there's definitely such, such thing as too much option. You, you, as a DM, you want to be able to make sure that you're offering your, your players options. Yeah. Because that's, that's how you, you get going. But at the same time, you don't want to overwhelm them. So, you know, I, I would kind of liken this to, and bear with me on this, because this, this may be like a weird analogy, but I'm going with it anyway. So it's like basically jumping into season six of Game of, Game of Thrones versus starting from the very beginning. So you jump in and then all of a sudden there are all these different political motivations and things going on. There's a war going on. You have like 20 different factions all trying to do their own thing. And you're a player character in there. And especially if it's this is the beginning of the game and you're like a level one dude who just picked up a sword and shield, it might be a little bit overwhelming. Whereas go to the beginning of the series when you're just starting to kind of, you know, get a little small piece of this world, uh, you know, let's say up in Winterfell where you're getting, you know, a little bit of information. The King's coming to visit. That's something that's kind of grand and everything. It's a, it's a good, you know, kind of an intro to the world and at least one faction. And then as you kind of follow along that, follow along that plot, that story hook and everything, it can grow from there. But the thing is, Game of Thrones is told from so many different POVs and it works because you have those different, those different perspectives. If you were like the one person who had to deal with every single thing that was happening and all that, that's way too much for one person to kind of, you know, take or one party to take. So putting the entire weight of the world with all these facets and everything on your players, especially too early makes it so that it's just overwhelming. You have, the whole, um, gosh, what, what, what is it called? Where you have, you're, you have so many choices that you can't pick one. I forget the phrase, but it, it, it's, it's the whole idea that it's like, there's so much to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here and look at my phone for a while. Yeah, like uh, 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 decision something or other. Yeah, I totally where, don't where where you, where you free, Where you freeze up and you're just like, there's so many decisions. I don't want to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Type thing. And so, yeah. And I, I think that, I think that's a good analogy. And so you have to be really careful about that. Um, see Ben at one point in the podcast, you're just going to yell it out because when you stop thinking about it, that's when your brain is going to come back to it. Uh, some, is it like, is it like, like decision, decision paralysis? paralysis? Yeah. 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 Decision paralysis. Yes, I have my, my, my fact checker just uh, wrote it down and, and handed it to me as well right after I said it. So yep. we're Decision all on the paralysis. same page now. There, there go. we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and that's, that, is, that is something that is, is something you want to, to try and avoid because you don't want to give, you want to give options, but you don't want to give too many options. Mm-hmm. And then going even deeper than that, you need to balance plot versus character backstory mm-hmm. because character backstories as a dm are something that should should be very important um these are things that in theory your players have written up uh some will be far more detailed than others and honestly both types are great the the super detailed ones are great because they can help fill out your world you know you have exact characters you have exact locations and all this stuff uh, to put around them. Vaguer ones can be 
not bad either because then it, you can be like, okay, and, and this is this is something you need to talk with the character, the, the player with, but at some point you can go, okay, hey, um, this place that you allude to that you didn't name, it's this place. Uh, or you can, if, especially if you have played with the, the player before and, and you guys have a good good rapport or trust, you can spring things on them like their sister pops up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if the, and in a, in a backstory that's more vague and they come up and you're just like, ah, nice to see you again, brother. And they're just <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's my sister. And then, and you can kind of then work out a little bit at that time in the table, like what they would know or, or they will just start making things up and you go with it. That is like the highest level. I think of backstory where you're both trusting each other enough DM and player to, and you're both good enough at improv to kind of even make up this piece of backstory on the fly and turn this into a big moment that it might not have been otherwise mm-hmm. if, if it was only one-sided. So, so that type of thing is, is really interesting. So that's kind of like plot and player backstories. Now, balance is key for these things <laughs> because you have, to, you have to make sure to set expectations. Sometimes player backstory, the, the place where your party is in the world is nowhere near any element of one or more characters backstory and it may not be for a while and so it's on you as a dm to make sure that you can still find some relevancy in what is going on with the plot to tie in in some way directly or indirectly to make sure that you can keep all your characters active in the story and engaged in the story and caring about the story. And it doesn't have to be all characters all the time. You're going to have periods of ebbs and flows where yes, one or two characters might be on the, 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 the top of the hill and there's a lot of stuff about their characters going on. And then they might be at a point where the, the main story doesn't necessarily relate specifically to, to other characters' backstories. But backstories are incredibly important because they are part of what ties the characters to the world mm-hmm. and what makes them care about the game you're playing. Because if you have a character and you're throwing these grand plots, these grand arcs, especially uh, if it's early on, and you're, the, the player goes well, this is cool and all, but I really don't have a reason to be here. I don't have any reason to be with these people. I don't have any reason to um, want to do that specific thing. That's when you need to go, oh, okay, step back. Mm -hmm. I need to look at this. Yeah, exactly. And it's, as a DM, it's incredibly hard to please everybody all the time. I mean, there's the whole idea of I can please some people some of the time and other people none of the time. But the you know, Ryan, I think that the big 
big focus, the thing that you said that is the most important is balance. And if you are, you know, crafting like a, a, a nice, good story for everybody to kind of go in and like, let's say it does lean heavily into one character's backstory, try to do whatever you can to pepper in a little bit here and there, um, whether it's, it's, you know, more backstory stuff for the other players or give them hooks of their own of something to kind of fit in there. I mean, it, it's great that, you know, there, there are certain campaigns that, you know, maybe famous that have an awesome, awesome, huge, fantastic storytelling point of like, say, um, you know, a, a family that, that took over your residence and, and you were cast out and now there's vampires and undead all over the place and stuff like that. And if it's a campaign that's been going on a while where, you know, it's a group of players who, you know, they've been together, they've adventured together and they are like super duper best friends and stuff in the game. It makes a lot more sense for all of them to walk and wade right into that to, you know, help that one character's story and like liberate the town and, and city and everything like that. If it's a brand new group, what reason would that possibly be? So even if you've got this grandiose idea for this one character's backstory and you think it's going to be a great session and everything like that, it's something that you might have to put off, put it on hold until the group has become a lot more cohesive, uh, you know, or if it's something that's going to be like a very big, huge story, weave in other things that'll tie and, and give stakes to those other players as well. Um, who knows? Maybe one of the, the character's parents happens to be one of the vampire lords there, you know, because as we know, every adventurer, their parents are dead, unless it's, you know, a very rare instance where they're alive in some form. So my knows? parents are alive and we have a great relationship. Yeah. Hey, I have a character like that and he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it's one of those things where you need to try to incorporate as much as you can for all the players there. And, it's hard. It really is. Like with my campaign, I actually started, I mean, it totally started off as a one shot. So there was no plan whatsoever for backstories to mean anything. And then it grew into a bigger campaign where like the current story right now really doesn't have much to do with people's backstories, but I've started putting in and kind of peppering things in here and there that are meaningful to characters or something that can be, you know, pulled from their backstory and past and kind of stick it in. And I'm really trying to keep those plot points going as well as bring in more things for everybody because while we've been playing for a really long time and, you know, the group is kind of, co you know, they, they've got some good cohesion there in story. They've only been together for like two, two and a half months, which I mean, they've been through a lot together, which, you know, friendships forged in fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's still something that I have, I, you know, they have this big goal together to essentially save the world at, you know, level eight, which is nice, but it, it ties them together for now. And then I'm already looking at, you know, what I'm going to do for like the next act for the campaign and stuff. And it's going to be something hopefully more personal, but still it's something that I want to make sure ties in as many people as possible to it so that it is something more meaningful and they're not just tagging along with their friends because they it's just something to do yeah and i i kind of want to go off of a little bit of what you said too because I, I especially think um 
for when you're starting your campaign out, don't worry so much about the player backstories. The, the, the first chunk, even the, the, the first few levels, I would, I would almost even say like levels one to five, one to six, should be much more about building the party relationships mm -hmm. and building the party cohesion so that the party cares about each other before you really go deep into any single character's backstory. Because if you, if you get to a point where one character, like all their backstory is here, like let's just say in this town or the city or this you know, area or whatever, and all of a sudden it is all about driving this character because all their stuff is here, all their, like, all their accomplishments, all their you know, whatever is here, you're going to potentially leave the other characters in the background or the other characters are not going to care enough about this other character to really care about any of their backstory stuff or care about any of their stuff. Um, or if everything is too far flung, people's, if, if people have, and this is, this is something you have to be very careful of too. If people's backstories have their goals are too specific mm -hmm. and you get them to a point and then all their various backstory goals diverge. And then, then all of a sudden you've got another problem of this character wants to go here to, to this place. That's halfway across the continent. This one needs to jump on a boat to go find, find someone or other. This one wants. And so all of a sudden, like none of the characters have a reason to be together. Yeah. Or and there's no, and there's no friendship or there's no shared common goal that is cared about enough to keep them together. Yeah. And even more so, so, you know, you're working through the backstory and stuff and let's say that you've finished this character's backstory and it's, you know, they're, they're level 10 or 11 or something. If you focus solely on just that person and they've accomplished everything that they have, are they going to want to continue adventuring on with everybody else? I mean, sure, there's the possibility of, again, the, those bonds that are formed, you know, they want to help their friends succeed in whatever that is that they're trying to do or whatever. But, you know, if you're trying to, you know, save your, your partner from a dragon and you do that in the fourth session, is that the end of your adventuring career? You know, keep everything. And I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't make this like lost where the story just keeps going on and on and on for no reason. You know, give, give satisfying endings to different arcs and different things like that. But again, make sure that everybody has some sort of stake or want or, you know, need in there. Now, I get from a player perspective of, well, I just want to play D&D, &D, so of course I'm going to go with the party. And that's going to be part of it too. But there's nothing in that that says that you just have to go and live everybody else's story the entire time. Yeah. And again, as a DM, that's the hard part to balance and to, to kind of maintain and, and keep. Well, I can say too, as a player that I, I get the draw. Like there, there is some amount of <laughs> fantasy. There's some amount of, <laughs> there's some amount of sometimes at least contrived. We're together because we're five people playing the same game. Yeah. or six people playing the same game or four people or whatever. And so there's, there's going to be a little of that, but at the same time, if you are a player in one of those situations, 
and your stuff is far away. None of the other characters are related to that stuff or you're in a location where it's specifically focusing very heavily on one or two people. There's potential for that player to get bored. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's potential for that player to, to not have fun. And so it's, it's, it's hard. And we're going to, we're going to take another episode sometime in the near future and talk about uh, soft and hard resets. Mm-hmm. Because there are times in campaigns where everyone, it, and if, if you're good friends or, you know, if, if you guys have built relationships, you'll want to be open and honest about these things when, when these types of things come up so you can all step back and say, okay, this person or these two people or these three people or whatever are not having fun right now. Why? Mm-hmm. What's the deal? Let's, let's step back and look at this. So we're, we're, that's, that's a kind of a conversation for another day, but suffice it to say, one of the things I was talking about uh, with my friend when we were talking about one of these situations was, uh, and this is, and again, this is, this is just a broad general statement, not necessarily true in all situations, but plot should drive backstories, not backstories driving plot. Mm -hmm. There are always exceptions to this. There are going to be times when a backstory is big enough or a party has been together long enough that one person's backstory driving in the main plot may be okay because everyone is now fully invested in this party. They've been together for 10 levels or whatnot. And all of a sudden this person is having a crisis. Okay. We are your friends. Mm -hmm. We are here for you. That type of thing is much harder to pull off with a newer party, a party or a party that hasn't been together very long or a party that does not have a lot of reasons yet for being or staying together. And so as a DM, you have to be very careful about this, that the overarching plot that you're driving should kind of include and pepper in and bring about uh, backstories or, uh, but they should be as a part of this bigger thing that everyone cares about Mm -hmm. rather than this single person's thing that your players are almost being forced to care about now, because that's what's driving the main narrative. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the neat thing about, you know, working with your players when you're actually creating your, your campaign and understanding what you're doing. And a lot of this is especially if you're not running a module. If you're running a module, backstories, I mean, they don't really play as much into it because you have the mm-hmm. whole main arc and everything that you're, you're going with. This is definitely and Most more, likely the backstories will be made with that main arc yeah. or that module in mind. Exactly. And it's going to be more, you know, more home, home brew stuff. So you could have just a wide range of everything. And this is where, you know, communicating with your players as the DM is important. You know, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot and communication is one of the best things that this game really kind of forces you to do. Cause I mean, granted you're telling them everything that's going on, but even more so, as you're building your world and they're building their characters, work with them, talk to them, um, 
and even more so maybe you have a player who doesn't really care much about a backstory or anything. They just want to get in there and play and they are super eager to just go into whatever adventure that they find. I mean, if that happens, cool, but still throw something in there for them to, you know, just to kind of glomp on. Like sometimes it might even take a, a few sessions or even, you know, a year of playing to kind of understand how they view their character, what they see and stuff. And don't tie it to a backstory. Maybe there's, uh, you know, some sort of cool thing that they find in town. Like um, they're walking around the town and they decide to go into a, a soothsayer's tent for whatever reason, you know, give them something to kind of play around with. You know, there, there's a lot of different variety and a lot of different ways that you can take something in a backstory, out of a backstory, whatever, and just, you know, mold it and fit it into what you want because again this is entirely entirely your world you can do whatever you want with it so if that means that the invading army is full of mind-washed parents who everybody was thought de was dead sure why not have it happen i would actually kind of want to see this at some point all the adventurers dead parents oh no yeah it's like mom dad and then they throw a fireball at you. I, you know, it'd be weird. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and I can, I can kind of give um, a, a little example of that, um, an example or two of that from, from my homebrew uh, campaign. And I, I'm sure you can too. So, uh, and it's, it's much easier to do these things in hindsight. Um, but, but as you're weaving, as, as you're weaving story together and doing stuff. So one of, one of the big arcs, that my my first campaign has recently completed was saving the uh, this capital city mm -hmm. uh, called Elathar on my continent from uh, basically these this radical dragonborn organization that is was spawned off of the <clears throat> capital the dragonborn city where there's not a the the tension there's tension there's not super good relationships right now. Mm -hmm through all of that. So anyways, that whole thing was a main arc and the, the adventurers are in this city and the, now this, the city has come under threat and they are helping with it. At the same time, kind of weaved into it, there's this uh, dragonborn type story that is playing on some of the backstory of my dragonborn character who's in my campaign. So it's, so this thread is now weaved through into the main plot. So it's not necessarily about him, but he has stakes in it. It's the same thing when the giants were introduced as the dragonborn having this relationship with, with these giants coming in and attacking the city. One of my characters has a backstory of uh, a history with giants and not a good history with giants. And so, again, it's not necessarily directly related, but it's also something I can play off of and mm -hmm. use to develop and bring about stuff. But it's, but again, even though these two characters are potentially a little more directly affected by this, the overarching plot itself is viable to everyone because of the situation they're in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And 
you know, with, with my campaign, again, they're kind of on a quest to save the world because, you know, go big or go home. Um, but I'm doing what I can to kind of, again, drop in little bits here and there for the different players. Um, I've got a cleric who, you know, a lot of his backstory had to do with, uh, you know, kind of stepping away from his noble family and stuff to go on a path that, you know, he felt was the right one. And slowly as, as time is kind of going by, he's realizing that he's definitely on the right path. You know, he's getting that, that extra bit of, um, you know, attaboy, you know, good job. You're doing the right thing. You know, like, you know, other religious folks are kind of talking to him and, and kind of seeing his way. Um, I've got a bard who her, her backstory just kind of, you know, plowed its ugly head, just like right into the story for one session. Some assassins came after her, you know, that's an interesting thing. Who knows how, how long they've been plotting and planning on this. And, you know, that's got ties to something in the future as well as the, the cleric story does. Um, I had stuff going on with our warlock who decided he didn't want to play as warlock anymore. So, I mean, there's, there's stuff there. Um, and as I'm kind of slowly peppering thing, you know, putting, we keep saying peppering things in. Cause I mean, that's what you do. You season the story, you know um, you know, I'm looking at different ways to, to, to bring in things for, you know, my, my rogue. I'm looking at things to bring in from the paladin. Uh, we have a new sorcerer who just joined who talk about, um, you know, uh, bringing up you know an improv backstory thing and then just kind of rolling with it and stuff um she brought up something that never came to mind in any discussion or anything that we said uh because she revealed that she was a changeling and something that happened to her and her her backstory just off the top of her head and i'm just like that's amazing i need to fit this into the world now and it was great so as we're moving forward and stuff, I, I have all these little threads that I have. I haven't been able to, to, you know, bring each one in yet, but I've got this whole main story going on and just bits and pieces here and there for each of the characters as best as I can and introducing them when I can, because, you know, everybody seems to be very intent and happy with what they're doing main wise. But at the same time, I love my players so much. I want to give them all, that that awesome kind of personal experience in the game as well yeah and there's and there is a lot of ways to do that type of stuff too um even if the your players aren't in the area um <laughs> if there's organizations they're related to they can send stuff if there is especially for clerics or warlocks or druids with deities uh dream sequences um, mm -hmm. and random stuff happening like that. I know I've, I've been, I drove almost an entire plot side story with my cleric through that type of thing, just peppered in, not so much that it became the main focus yeah. of entire sessions, but a side focus, like, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there in another session, 10 minutes there in another session. Mm -hmm. And, it was a great way to develop things and move things along, even though they weren't necessarily in a location that their backstory was part of. Exactly. Exactly. So and there's a lot, there's a lot of creative things you can do for those types of things. Yep. And I mean, last thing I'm going to say again, it's your world. You can create the situation 
however you need. Um, and then also one last thing too, um, talking about, you know, the, the decision paralysis and way too much that's going on. Cut some of that out, tie a lot of that together so that it's not as much of a thing because you can have an idea for awesome plot threads and hooks and everything like that. Not all of them need to be right now. Yes. <laughs> that I think that's that's such a that's such a great kind of point to end on cuz as as DMs a lot of times we have we have these grand ideas, we have these grand stories, we have these grand visions of how things will turn out and sometimes they turn out that way and sometimes they they don't. Sometimes the players want to go in a different different direction. And like we've been saying all along, it's great to give choice. It's great to you you want to it's, it's very hard to run a completely open sandbox game mm -hmm. where anything can happen. Because one, as interesting as that, that sounds on paper, in practice, it rarely plays out that way because there's no direction and no guidance. And if you don't have players especially, and it, for a set of players, that type of campaign could potentially work out. Yeah. But for, for the vast majority of players you're going to play with, those, that, having that type of thing, it's just like full railroad where the, character, where the players are just like, oh, I, I don't feel like I have any say in what we do. I don't feel like I have any, any choice in where we're going or, you know, what, what not. Versus the, I have all the choices, but I don't know what to do. I don't necessarily, nothing, nothing is interesting. I don't want to drive this by myself type thing. So you have to have a healthy mix and you have to layer in some options, but at the same time, make sure you let your players drive, drive the plot without yeah. letting their backstories drive the plot. Exactly. And I mean, you know, I've talked to you about something that I, I can definitely not talk about on the show since my, some of my players do listen. Um, I've got something I think is really cool in the future. It's not the time or place to do it now, but things are starting to be seeded for it. And, you know, it, hopefully it goes that way. If it doesn't, yeah. then, oh, well. Yeah. And that's the thing. Make sure as a DM that you're okay with letting things go. Because you are going to have to let things go sometimes. And don't ever put in too much work into something that may not happen. Exactly. Because then you're almost setting yourself up for, for failure in, in some, some respects. If it doesn't go the way you want, if your plans, players go a different direction. Um, and it's, it's all about the DMing style. Some people like to do it anyways. And that's great. If you do, more power to you. At the same time, don't be mad. <laughs> don't be disappointed <laughs> if it doesn't happen because that will be the case uh, a lot of times as well. So you have to, you have to kind of uh, protect yourself a little bit from that, that disappointment that can happen during these, these big shared stories because that's what they are. They're shared stories. And this is more of a homebrew thing. It's a little less, again, like Ben was talking about for modules. If you're running a module, there's an expectation in theory, there's an expectation from the DM and the players that we're going to sit down and play this module. 
Mm-hmm. And so things aren't going to go <laughs> totally <laughs> off the rails. And we're just going to go to the other side of the world that doesn't exist, quote unquote, in this, in this module. But for, for homebrew, it's uh, completely homebrew stuff. It is, it is a consideration that you have to have. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think cool. that's good. Yeah, that's story and plot and player backstory and all the story things. It's going to make the, the episode title be really long because I try to put in what we talk about into the title. So I'll, I'll probably simplify it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> stories, stories and monks. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of monks, oh my uh, gosh. That's, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Uh, <laughs> monks, monks are a super, super cool class. Super, super cool class. Very, uh, very athletic, mm-hmm. very, um, uh, very high movement, uh, lots of flexibility, lots of very unique mechanics that no other classes share. Um, so Ben, since you actually play one yes. in one of, the, one of the games we play in, I'll let you go ahead and intro everything and kind oh, of uh, start off the, the, the monk discussion. Okay, so I got to say that I was surprised at how much fun I have playing a monk. And I'm going to be really sad when I'm no longer playing him because, you know, all good things must come to an end at some point. Um, am I tempted to just make another monk to play? Yes, very much so. Because here's the thing about monks. They're so incredibly versatile that you can choose one to be any sort of position that you need for the most part. You know, if you want some sort of really great up in your face, you know, tanky kind of character, there's a monk for that. If you want someone who's just really awesome DPS, just kind of get in, do your hits and get out. There's a monk for that. If you want to play ranged a whole lot of the time, there's a monk for that. If you want to be a caster, there's, kind of a monk for that i mean there's there's so many different things and varieties in here that they fit almost every sort of play style that you can think of and one of the 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 key aspects of the monk the the thing that kind of changes it or uh, steps it apart from every other class is key now key is for lack of a better word like your power source and it lets you do a bunch of different things kind of in battle that you get to kind of have fun with and play around with starting with starting at level two. So you get one point of key for every level that you are. So on the lower end, you're not going to have a whole lot of options, but once you get, you know, further and further in, you can actually do pretty good. So like one of the big things is, is like right away um, you can use your key for, um, a couple or three different things, no matter what kind of monk class you are. So there's flurry of blows, which for your bonus action, you get to do two more attacks. Uh, there's patient defense, which, you know, after you attack, you can just go into defense. So everything against you is that's a uh, um, disadvantage penalty. And then there's step of the wind, which lets you do your full movement on your bonus action. So monks super fast because you can do sanely mobile. Yeah. Mobile then dash action and then step of the wind for your bonus action. That's three times your speed in one turn, which by the way, if you're a tabaxi, you can just destroy and break that. Just throwing that out there. I think, gosh, what was it? Um, I think as a tabaxi, I can move something like 200 some odd feet in a turn as a monk. 
I don't, it, like I said, crazy broken. But anyways, um, using your key is one of the, the really kind of more important things to do. And you get your key points after a short rest, which is really important because you're going to be using it all the time, especially once you get up into those higher levels. It lets you do everything. Like literally everything that a monk can do other than just punching and, and doing normal attacks. Yeah, and you end up with a lot of key. And the, the cool thing about the monk is that they are a short rest base class. Mm-hmm. Um, so unlike, unlike wizards and sorcerers and stuff, and yes, they have play things here and there that can help them regain spell slots or whatever, but with, with monks especially, they are a very short rest based class because they recover all of their key on a short or long rest. Mm-hmm. And exactly. so it, it definitely gives you more incentive to be able to go all out at certain times, um, especially if you have the ability to take short rests in between uh, dangerous encounters or things like that. Uh, so as a, as a DM, side note, be aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> that if you, if you had throw like a combat in or something, the monk can go all out. And if there's time for short rest in between, the monk can go all out again. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe minus a few, a few hit points, but still like uh, it's, it's a, it's a very powerful thing to be able to have that resource usage back. And so um, as Ben said, there's, there's keys is basically the, the crux of this class there's lots of flexibility. Um, one of the things I like, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about subclasses here in a second, but just base, baseline. Uh, one of the super cool things is, comes really early is fourth level. You get something called slow fall. And this is super, super cool because this allows you to use your reaction to reduce your falling damage. Any falling damage you take by the amount equal to five times your monk level. So just right off the bat, when you get this at level four, you can reduce 20 points of falling damage. And this goes up a lot exponentially. So like level 10, you can reduce your falling damage by 50 points of fall damage. And so (laughs) this this allows you to play (laughs) around with things that you normally wouldn't be able to play around with. Or oh, yeah. jump off of things or fall from things that you normally wouldn't be able to do. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. And this is just a baseline monk feature. So mm-hmm. super, super interesting. Um, well, like overall, just the baseline monk features are kind of enough. Like without even doing any sort of subclass, you get really cool stuff. Like, it, I mean, slow fall is great. I'm not going to knock you that. That's great. But at level three, you can start doing deflect missiles. You can start catching things and then throwing them back at people. Yeah, and that, that alone is such a cool mechanic that you don't see almost anywhere else mm-hmm. in the entire game. <laughs> like there's, there's spell reflects and stuff like that, but this actually lets you, depending on uh, the person's, uh, a person's role, you can potentially catch it depending on how much damage the projectile was going to do and then you can potentially if you have key points throw it back 
and do yep. damage to the person <laughs> to the person who is going to do damage to you. That's such a cool monk thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got cool stuff like stunning strike. Uh, sometimes extremely underused, super super powerful. Mm-hmm. Like when in a game where action economy is everything, stunning something for a whole round especially let's say if you're up against one or two big things. Yeah. You're a party of four or five. You're fighting these one or two big things. One of those two big things stunned is a massive loss exactly. for the enemy side. Yeah. Any sort of crowd control, especially at, at higher levels, just completely changes the flow. And I've got a story about that later in the, what we've been up to. Ooh. Um, but, uh, you know, let's go up one more level. We look at uh, level six. Guess what? Your unarmed strikes, they're magical weapons. How crazy is the fact that your fists are magical weapons or feet or whatever you're attacking with? Like, how cool is that? Yeah. And, and as, they, as they've said several times on Critical Role, you can punch ghosts now. <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's one, of those, one of those cool kind of things. Uh, and then there's stuff that's not even necessarily combat oriented, like at seventh level, stillness of mind. Mm-hmm. You can use an, your action and you can literally just end a charm or a frighten effect. So at level seven, you basically can't be charmed for more than, more than whatever, however long it takes to get back to your turn. Yeah. Level 10, you're immune to disease and poison. Just, yeah, just immune. Innately, innately immune to disease and poison. So uh, <laughs> there's super, <laughs> super stuff. cool things. This is just, this is just all baseline. Yeah. This is just um, all baseline. It's something that I didn't even know. I, I was just kind of going through here. Level 18, I mean, granted, you got to play for a while there, but you can spend four key points to become invisible for a minute. You just do. You're just invisible now. Yeah, or level 15, your key now sustains you. You suffer <laughs> none of the fragility or the frailty of old age, and you can't be magically aged. Yeah, you just, you're just there. You, you'll <laughs> die of old age, but basically you are in fully peak physical condition. Mm-hmm. Until you just drop dead <laughs> of yeah. old age. And on top of that, you don't need food or water anymore. Sure. <laughs> level, level 15. Level 15. Like, like the, I was, like I said, I was reading through these when I was doing, doing research for this episode. And I, some of these, I was just like, what? 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 Holy yeah. crap, that's cool. And yeah. then I got to Timeless Body and I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> it's just like it's this human this human monk that's like i was just thinking this human monk he's 90 years old he's level 15 plus and he's still like can kick as much butt as he did <laughs> when he was 30 years old even though in 10 years he may just be walking down the road and, and go <laughs> it's time my time has come and lay down and die <laughs> because <laughs> his body is just like you have hit the maximum age capacity for yeah. for your specific species you are dead oh man it's just it, it there's again just baseline monk stuff so cool so cool and then we start going into the different monastic traditions 
Ooh. And this Just is the where, subclasses for monks. Yeah, the subclasses are neat. So um, the one that I play, it's in, in case you don't listen to plus five to hit, I play a tabaxi monk and I, I went the way of the Kensai. And this really is, to me, it was interesting. It's not specifically samurai because, you know, in fighter there's samurai. But this is really kind of, um, gosh, the best way I can kind of put it, it, it made me think of, uh, did you ever watch uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, so the, yep. the sword that they have, just the, it, it's, it acts as just an extension of the monk. And that's totally what this kind of feels like to me. So at third level, you get to choose two different types of weapons that are essentially your Kensai weapons. They're, they're an extension of you. And so I went with a short sword and then also a longbow because why not have both options and stuff? And based on that, um, you get, you know, uh, pluses and everything to your different weapons and, and, and things that you can do. But the neat thing is, is like, this is where, uh, when I stepped into the party, I, I felt like I was kind of more tank-like because uh, of something called Agile Parry. And basically, as long as you make an unarmed attack, but you have your weapon in your hand, uh, or an unarmed attack as your attack action, and you're holding your, your weapon, you get a plus two to AC until the end of your next turn. And... I mean, if you go back and listen to the show, I mention Agile Perry like every turn because I was trying to be the tank. And so I happen to be a level where I get my second attack as well. So I'm like sword attack, unarmed attack, because again, part of it. And then I would bonus action another unarmed attack because again, you get to do that as a monk. Your bonus action is just punching something again if you want. And I was dealing a lot of damage, but also tanking stuff. In fact, uh, our DM was just super excited anytime he actually hit me, which was so rare. And then imagine instead of going with a, a bonus attack on my, or a, 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 sorry, an attack on my bonus action, I went with patient, patient defense. Not only do I have a plus two to my AC, but then every, every attack against me is disadvantage. And you can really go into a tanking position without wearing armor or anything like that as a monk, especially if you focus on the decks, which is really what you want to do. And it worked out really well for me. And I mean, I was really just destroying things with how much damage output I can do as well as defend at the same time. And it worked out really well as a tanking class. And I didn't fully expect it to work as well as it did. Yeah. And that's, that's just from, from a subclass helping out. Uh, and there's, there's so much inspiration that you can pull from just pop culture or books or characters um, mm-hmm. like the, the Jet Li or, or the Jackie Chan uh, way of the drunken master <laughs> yes. or, or the avatar, you know, Aang or Korra uh, way of the four elements or mm-hmm. like the ninja like uh, shadow assassin type thing, way of way of shadow. Exactly. Um, there's there's so many uh, archetypes right now from a subclass perspective over the course of of several books that you can now use to create your own. If you're looking for inspiration, the these types of characters, then there is more than likely an option option for you in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, there are seven subclasses right now with two in Unearthed, or unearthed Arcana. So you really have, like we said, just 
versatility is the key here. Anything you want to do. Um, there was a, a one shot that I did where we had a monk that was the way of the sun soul. And that's some pretty cool stuff. That's getting into, you know, ranged attacks for your just base attack. You know, you're using um, key to hurdle bolts of, of magical radiance out and everything, you know, as well as if you want to get in there and just do a punch, punch, kick combo or something, you know, whatever you want to do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're limited to melee with these options because of the, the various ranged options that you have as well. But I mean, to shoot magical energy out of my fists as I'm just doing stuff, that's cool. Like, really oh, yeah. cool. 100%. Uh, and I, I know I kind of mentioned this. I'm, I'm considering uh, next time I, I, I get to make a character, I'm considering making a, a way of the Shadow Monk. There's some, some really, really cool things you can do, like shadow arts that let you cast certain uh, darkness-type spells or, or stealth-type spells with key instead of actual like spell casting. Uh, level 6, you get this shadow step spell, which is basically a bonus action teleport from shadow to shadow. <laughs> super cool <laughs> it's just like oh that's that's just such a, a fun fantasy that that i want to do or as as i kind of mentioned before way of the four elements where it's just like you now get these spells like burning hands and uh stuff for water and wind and fire and all these different things that you can do and you can be basically like a like an avatar bender type type uh fantasy and it's there. It's ready to go. Yeah, there's there's so much that's been put into these different things. And I mean, even more so, if you just want to go straight up Kung Fu Master, there's ways of the open hand. Like just straight up, oh, I'm just going to, you know, punch and kick things. Just that's it. And it works really great too, because like just at level three, when you do Flurry of Blows, you, you can just do a whole bunch of stuff in there to either throw something so it's knocked prone. You can push it so that it's, you know, 15 feet away. You can make it so it just can't take reactions until the end of your next turn. And there's a lot added to it in just something so simple as I'm just going to kick and punch stuff. Or one of my favorite from those, and this is, this is the high level thing. Cause there's always a, like a level 17, like capstone ability for uh for subclasses and such but like quivering palm this is so cool you gain the ability to set up lethal vibrations in someone's body when you hit a creature with an unarmed strike you spend three key points to start these vibrations which can last for a number of days equal to your monk level so 17 days at at the 17th level when you get it and they're harmless unless you use your action to end them to do so (laughs) you and the target must be on the same plane of existence that's it. That's the only thing. You could be halfway across the world, like 16 days in and just go, mm, and, and end these things. And when you use your action to end it, the creature has to make a con save. And if they fail, they're just reduced to zero hit points. Yeah. Just flat out, like, down. And even if they succeed, they still take 10d10 necrotic damage. It's the five-point palm exploding heart technique, just right there. That's what yeah, that is. Essentially, that is that is exactly what it is. So it's just like one of those things where you just set someone up, where where you're 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 joking with the enemy of a thing, or you kind of just punch them in the side, 
or whatever, and it seems like a harmless thing. They take a few points of damage and they're kind of kind of pissed at you, but you set up these lethal vibrations and then you go, if you don't listen to me now. Or imagine if like, uh, you know, you're being attacked by someone in a mask or something and, and you, you're pretty sure you know who they are, but, but you're not. And then you hit them with that and then they get away and then you're at a, a fancy dinner or something and everybody's sitting up there, all these noble people. Then all of a sudden you just stop it. Blah. Face down in the spaghetti. <laughs> You're like I knew it. It was him. <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, monks, fun to play. Tons to just kind of look at and and figure out just neat tricks and stuff to to mess around with. And I mean, a, again, a lot of it is just base monk. You get really cool stuff. So, the subclass icing on a very delicious cake already. 100% agree. Uh, if you get the chance, try out a monk. They are super fun. Uh, I know because I played with them. I know because one of the players in one of my campaigns is a monk. And it just uh, gives me all sorts of grief sometimes trying <laughs> to design <laughs> encounters <clears throat> to, to make things challenging for this ridiculously uh, flexible, flexible class. So exactly. It's, it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Uh, before we jump into our campaign stuff, we are going to kind of shout out uh, Wizards just announced their brand new book that's coming. And no, this isn't Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which is coming, oh gosh, just Sooner. like in <laughs> like two weeks or something like that, um, which, which we may actually end up being involved in in some way soon. Uh, keep, Hope so. Keep an eye out. Uh, but this is a book coming out in November. And this is, a, this is a really cool one because Wizards usually only does like one of these types of books a year. And this is like a rules supplement book. It's called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And this is the Tasha from the, the spell uh, Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you've made it as a wizard when you get a, get a spell named after you or multiple spells named after you. <laughs> Definitely. There's all sorts of really interesting stuff coming in this book. Uh, there's more, there's expanded subclasses. So there's going to be new subclass options for every class, including the artificer uh, coming in this book. There's more character options now uh, for designing a character and decoupling the uh, racial statistics a little bit to give more flexibility with the type of character that you make, which should be really interesting. Uh, group patrons, which uh, is a great way to help form uh, bonds for your party right off the bat. If you don't want to do the, we met in an inn <laughs> type, <laughs> type, uh, type group situation, it can be a great way to give your, the characters um, kind of those bonds from the get-go. So like the, the second campaign that I, I'm DMing right now, um, they all, all the characters started off as members of a mercenary group. So they all knew each other and they all have that connection right off the get-go, which helps me, you know, in the, in the process of motivations and stuff like that. It's not always the way you want to do it. It's not always the way, but it's, it's really nice to, to have that kind of option. And then this book, of course, is just going to expand on that. Um, 
new spells, artifacts, of course, and magical tattoos are finally going uh, published. They're, they're coming out of Unearthed Arcana and they're, they're going to be uh, fully published. So that is a, is a really cool thing. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the magical tattoos. Um, and then expanded rules options, so sidekicks, uh, the, the template type thing they made in, um, I'm forgetting, uh, Dragon of Ice Fire Peak. The, mm -hmm. uh, the one that had like the one-on-one -on -one rules and the sidekick rules and stuff, those are going uh, general use now. Uh, so these will be great for uh, potentially throwing in an NPC that you need that has a stat, easy stat block. Um, th uh, for a brand new player that doesn't want the complexity, you could just give them a sidekick template. Yeah. And all of a sudden they have a lot less they have to focus on, which is, which is super, super cool. And not only that type of thing, it's gonna uh, add supernatural environments, natural hazards, parlaying with monsters and uh, some guidance on how to run a session zero, which I think is really cool because I think that's one of the things that baseline D&D has been missing up until this point in, in a lot of ways, because that session zero can be a great way to get your campaign off on the right foot, a great way to set up expectations and that type of thing. And then finally, and this is super cool, a plethora of puzzles ready to be dropped into any D&D adventure, puzzles of very difficulty, await your adventures complete with traps and guidance on using the puzzles in a campaign. I'm excited Super about cool. that. So excited about so that. So cool. So cool. That's, that's another piece I think that has been missing um, from some of our source type books for quite mm -hmm. a while. And so having uh, a more official version of that, maybe some rules how to make stuff or some now ready-made stuff that we can drop in. There's a lot, of course, good DMs Guild guides, supplements, and things that people have made, but it's really cool that they're going into an official book and taking time to do that. So out of all this, Ben, what are, what are you most interested in? What's, what sounds good to you? Is this something that sounds like uh, oh. you, you want to you get it? No, that, well, I already have it pre-ordered. I like well, hands that down. Answers that like, question. Yeah, I'm getting it. Um, you know, I've been buying a lot of books on D and D Beyond just so I have access to you know all the different content and stuff. But this one, I'm definitely getting physically just because I think it's one of those like Xanthar's, which is a a, a must have supplement because it has so many more options to it and everything. And like you said, having artificer just splayed out in there and stuff is great too. But the, the two things that I'm most excited about, obviously the puzzles is, is a big one because I'm horrible at making puzzles. So like this will just help <laughs> and any sort of help I can get with that without, you know, doing just a really quick Google search of like, what kind of puzzle should I do for my dungeon? Um, I, I'm actually really excited because you can always take 100%. the puzzles that they have and alter and change in do whatever you want with it. So having some really good examples that you know are tried and true uh, in any sort of official capacity is a really good starting point for any sort of trap or dungeon or anything like that. But the big one that I'm excited about is the varied character customization and, and options. And I know we, we touched on it a little bit in a previous uh, episode about how they're kind of going away from some of the, the more traditional or you know original ideas behind uh, a lot of the, the races and stuff but i like the fact that they're opening up and not really stereotyping 
like they used to and really giving you full customization of your character with with you know ideas of backstory but on top of that more of you know skills abilities and pluses and everything just right out the bat i think it makes more sense especially when you have a lot of people who you know have access to the different materials for all the different races that they've made available and want to play something that isn't you know considered traditional yeah and i and it's it's an optional rule set so for those who don't want to mess with it that's great. You got the got the the baseline original stuff you can do, but for people who want to make like uh, I think Chris Perkins kind of talked about it into a little bit, uh, and he he said something to the effect of like the elf we have now is Elfie Mc McElferson. Like it is <laughs> it is like the the stereotypical standard. Like this is this dude's super smart. He's get gets some extra decks and whatnot, mm-hmm. and in some ways you can in our current system you can build whatever you want with any yeah. with any race right now you you can still do that um is it going to be optimal it depends on the stuff because in a game where 20 is the max of a skill stat mm-hmm. that you can have a plus 1 or a plus 2 can actually be a pretty big deal exactly um so I, I love the idea of, of an alternate system where I can go, okay, like a, a tiefling that doesn't necessarily get uh, all the, the stats for that I would necessarily want for like a monk or a yeah. wizard or something like or that. I believe, I believe they get like charisma bonus and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, so I like the idea of being able to, to stat them in a way that can benefit me a little bit towards a different class that a tiefling might not necessarily have been as quote unquote optimized for mm-hmm. in the, in the other system. Yeah. And I mean, it, it totally makes sense too. If you're playing a character who like I'm a ranger, but I'm like, I, I have a, uh, <laughs> I have a Goliath ranger that I'm making. So, you know, people are like, Oh, it's going to be big and strong and everything. I'm like, no, I'm leaning towards Dex. He's going to be a wiry dude who, you know, sure. He's still big, but this is how he's been his life. So why would he be giant, super muscular guy if he's been focusing on, you know, shooting a bow and arrow all this time? It doesn't make sense that way. So being able to kind of play how you want and go against the grain of these, you know, set racial features, I think makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that'll really make some interesting characters. Exactly. And well, not again, not that you couldn't do that now, but slightly more optimized. It'll make it easier, <laughs> easier to make. Yes. Uh, yeah. Things that you're not like just my, my poor brain. That's just like, must be optimized. <laughs> must like if I'm, if I'm missing out on something, I'm just like, yeah, I, I love this character. He's kind of, I'm not optimized, but you know, he's, he's cool, whatever. Uh, now I, I can, I can kind of get past that. Mm-hmm. Like some people don't have that problem. I wish I could be that person, but <laughs> my brain is too much just like, oh, that other point of intelligence would have given me another plus one and I'm going to have to wait to level four. And <laughs> just Meanwhile, yeah. when I make a character, I'm like, oh, it would be kind of fun to play. And that's just what I go with. And then I just... Yeah, I hope my rolls are good. <laughs> it's like yeah. when, it, when I chose to do a tabaxi monk, it was because I thought it'd be really cool to see a, a you know, big cat person doing karate and stuff as opposed to, oh, they get a dex bonus and stuff like that, which, I mean, 
starting off with a 20 index was really lucky for me <laughs> like yeah really lucky yeah but yeah it's it's it's, it's two different styles both equally valid mm-hmm. um and this adding more rules to that effect will just help out more from exactly. a configuration standpoint exactly. so definitely something there's a a dnd live celebration i believe uh mid-september i don't have the right the the date specifically in front of me no uh, but uh, they're going to announce, uh, they're going to have a lot of live play sessions. They're going to announce more details about the book. So when we get more details, we'll be sure to, to talk about it as, as information comes up. Yeah. Uh, so before we leave, uh, quickly, we'll kind of talk about a little of uh, what's been going on. Ben, I know that uh, stuff has happened <laughs> since last, last we talked. Yeah. So... Um... There's been a lot of caravanning in my sessions. Uh, basically, they're they're heading their or my players are making their way towards Wallowdale, the halfling town. I'm I'm excited for them to to get there and you know continue on this the story of hunting magic orbs. Um, we've had two days of travel in our last play session. That's pretty much all that we got in, but it worked out really well because you know the the players are really having fun. Uh, at least it seems like it. they're having fun, you know, doing a lot of RP during their watches at night, which is something that I actually really enjoy because one, as a DM getting back, getting to just sit back and relax for a while during a game is really nice, but even more so like seeing the characters like jump in and completely, you know, uh, embody their character and have conversations and talk and kind of RP stuff out and have fun and everything is really neat. So we we had you know a decent amount of of, uh, of RP that that first watch night, which worked out really well. Then the next day, as they're rolling for encounters, they got ambushed by some giants. Who'd have thought? So you know, two stone giants. Darn just, giants! I know they 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 Taking advantage of travelers. I know, but they they uprooted a tree and just you know threw it in the middle of the road so that you know they would stop the wagon and stuff like that. And because they're stone giants, they're totally blending in. They actually rolled really well on their, their uh, stealth checks. So I was happy about that. And then the fight happened. And I got to say, I was excited to play giants for the first time. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Giants are fun. They, they deal out some decent damage. Um, I used the variant stone giants so that they would be able to pick people up and throw them which i was excited to do i'm like this is gonna be great i'm gonna throw them against the wagon and stuff i'm like yeah i had this whole plan going and then the bard walks in and polymorphs one of them into a badger so i'm like okay cool still got another giant here this is great sorcerer pops in wall of fire just around the giant i'm like okay this is great (laughs) um it was like i'm so proud of my party they did such a great job in dispatching these giants no one took damage except for the giants yeah wow so i mean if you want to talk about you know uh turn economy and, and everything like that as soon as that giant was badgered it just completely changed downhill for you higher fight oh yeah definitely (laughs) so so they're all focusing on, you know, the, the giant that's in the fire and, you know, I get him out of the, the through the firewall and stuff. The paladin hits him with the ven- smite of vengeance or whatever. It, it, so he's on fire again. So he's taking tons of damage. The badger is just not, 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 not attacking 
as best as it can because it's a badger, but you know, it, it doesn't cause any damage at all to anybody. And so they end up killing the first giant. They've got this badger. And so here's the thing. I think I told you like forever ago, uh, I gave, or I didn't give, but uh, the two of my players bought the bag of tricks where you, you pull out a little circular fluff ball, you throw it on the ground, turns into an animal. Yep, yep. Well, one of them ended up giving, uh, giving theirs away to our warlock who left the party. So he'd have, you know, some, or I should say former warlock because he no longer has his powers. So, you know, he had some sort of protection with him and stuff. So luckily I only have to deal with one bag of tricks now, which is still like potentially a lot to put on the board, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really well. So the bard had the idea of putting the badger or the, the polymorph giant who is a badger now into a bag, telling her magical goat to just run that way just forever. And then, you know, after the polymorph ends, it'll turn back into a giant and they will be, you know, like a, an hour away. Cause polymorph lasts for an hour if you concentrate. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she picked up the badger and funny enough, the badger won the strength contest from being restrained. So fell didn't take enough damage from the fall because you know it's just a foot down so no damage is taken from that and then the sorcerer is all like so how does banish work i'm like oh god (laughs) so then she casts banish on the badger and i'm like okay i'm like we're gonna find out if because you know the material plane is its normal plane of existence so i'm like okay is there any chance that it could potentially take damage elsewhere and come back as a giant? No. So. <laughs> so they just left? No, because um, Banish is only for, an, is for one it's minute. It's for a minute, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what they did is they all surrounded themselves, held an action, brought the badger back, like right as it turned back into a giant after the polymorph, and then they all took their action and then we continued uh, with turn order and just killed the giant. So it, like I said, it was, I'm so proud of them for coming up with the idea and CCing and doing all that, except it robbed me from any sort of like action in the fight. You literally got to do like nothing. Yeah. It worked. It worked so well. And they, I was so proud of them that they did such a great job. So I'm like, okay, I need, I really need to work on balancing more. And it's, it's the big thing that I have, have had the hardest time with in this game. So I'm like, okay, if I had a third giant, that probably would have worked. But also if I had rolled better on some of these saves, it would have worked, you know? So it can go either way, really. But overall, like if they're successful with the CC, then it, it like, they just destroy me and it works really well. So they did awesome. Sounds like you need to add some things with CC. Ben. I, I know. I know. Uh, I lo- it's, it's, it's just like one of those things where your, your, your spellcasters are throwing this stuff and it's just like, just wait till you start meeting wizards with <laughs> counterspell oh, <laughs> or no. wizards with polymorph. Or- every, every wizard that they've come across has had counterspell. In fact, the warlock hated me because... <laughs> I always have, like, any caster that I have, if they're of a level to know Counterspell, they're going to know it because that is, in it's my It's like opinion, the single most, like, yeah, effective it's the thing. most important spell. It is the most important spell ever to know. It's Counterspell. 
in my opinion. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So in fact, yeah, it's, it's in, in one fight we had, <laughs> we had the wizard who's casting on someone who was being counterspelled, counterspelled their counterspell <laughs> and then still got that off. That's, I don't know. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Know. No, no, no. Cause it's still, it's, it's a reaction. It's a reaction. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think <laughs> technically, I, I think it's totally, technically it works. totally legitimate. Yeah. And it's such a, a jerk move to do, but I'm like, no, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Fun times. I love it. That's great. Anyways. Uh, what about you? What have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh so met with my main group um mm-hmm. a few days after we recorded our our last uh last episode um and we uh it ended up being a super fun session because uh number one i grabbed something called uh foundry virtual tabletop oh and yeah that's right we've been playing yeah we've been playing so long online and it's just like man especially the because we're we're getting into Aaron Gold now, which is uh, and I've mentioned this before. This is this is a bad place. This is a situation that has festered for a long time, and bad bad things going on. And in fact, I, I kind of warned my players in some ways. I was like, "This is probably going to be a heavier arc because bad stuff is going on in this place." So just kind of be prepared for that. But uh, so there, there should be some really interesting character decisions and interactions and that type of thing. And there, and again, it's just kind of we, like we talked about, there are, even though in some ways this is tied, or the initial situation of this was tied a lot to our cleric's backstory, mm-hmm. it's no longer just about him. Okay, cool. So like this would have been something that if they had gone and followed it up initially, it would have been another one of those things where there's some stuff to do in the city, but uh, this thing happened to the whole party, but it is intrinsically linked to the cleric. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, But in in this case, they let fester. They decided to do something else, which was like at the time this, and this was several years ago now at the time I was just like, Oh my gosh, I was, I was, getting ready to prep all this stuff and now they're going to the big city it's like all right we're gonna have some travel sessions and stuff in between and it ended up it but i i let it go and it ended up working out really really well cool um so so now they're they're finally dealing with this and so the the very first part of the session we had they had the, the fancy celebration party that was originally supposed to be part of the downtime session but we ran out of time i never like planned for this to be a very big or involved thing mm-hmm. um it was very loose uh and so they they got back they they went um and i kind of just described the room and they just described what they wanted to do i was like there's food here there's groups here there's there's nobles and stuff and so they they just kind of split up and did their thing and it ended up working out really well because it's just like okay mm-hmm. they went to the food these guys went to this this place this this character is trying to learn to be more <laughs> more like a noble so i was like all right make a make an intelligence check see how well you can kind of copy their their moves and stuff like that and then our our giant goliath monk fighter is just hanging out he didn't buy any fancy clothes <laughs> and so he's just hanging out with the dude who's trying to act like a noble and kind of spoiling it a little bit for him um so That's so that was stuff. super fun but one of the one of the fun things about this was that i had taken our rogue down into our little discord whispers channel 
just mm-hmm. just me and him when he was doing part of his his downtime stuff and so the party as a whole heard that he had gone back to his his boss to, to report and stuff but then i took him down to the whispers room and i was like your boss has a special mission for you uh he knows you're going to got an invitation to this party this dude has something he wants in a safe mm-hmm. of his uh you're going to be handsomely rewarded if you take this and so that was completely unknown to all other five players in character and out of character nice. and so he started slipping off slowly from the main part of this party as I was just kind of peppering some stuff in a little, little mm-hmm. bit of backstory, just a little bit of fun, uh, a little, a little like mini encounter with um, my, my dragonborn with uh, one of the mages of the arcane conservatory who had kind of kicked him out yeah. initially. And so now he's getting lessons from the art arc, archmage and, so he, and he's gotten confidence and stuff. So that was a fun little encounter and um, just, you know, just little, little things like that, just kind of world building and uh, just, again, balance, making sure that each player mm-hmm. got, got to do a little bit of something while this whole like Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's <laughs> One thing is happening off in the background. So I'm jumping back and forth between the set of five and then the one who's, going up the staircase looking for this office room goes in and finds this office room looks around to see if anything's been tampered with finds out that the painting looks like it's been moved a bunch goes up to try and check behind it activates a rug of smothering who ends up grabbing him and starts like tearing him up <laughs> uh, he lost about half his hit points to this thing and everyone is just dying laughing and it's just like Crimjack's just going to end up dead. Like he's just gonna end up dead by a rug. No one's going to have any idea <laughs> that he he's dead up in this room, but he finally gets out. <clears throat> and then he's just like, there's this large fireplace uh, that's underneath this painting. And he's just like, all right, I step in front of this fireplace. Do you think I can try and lure this rug in? And I was like, we'll see the, the rug's going to probably lunge at you run rug lunges, misses his attack. He sidestep rug, Fall, jumps and hits into the fire starts getting on fire he gets up opens the painting starts to pick the safe rug comes out flopping oh, no. around starts spreading everything on fire <laughs> so now this whole room is starting to get on fire he's picking the safe the the council is now in a big meeting because the, one of the whole points of this thing was to kind of give them some information about Arangle mm-hmm. and give them some updates on some of the stuff that they they've done and some of the stuff they did. And so this whole meeting's going on and then I'm jumping back over to here and he's just like, uh, how do I get up? I'm three stories, three stories up. He picks the (laughs) lock. He gets the items that he wants. And then he's just like, Oh crap. Uh, can I, can I like, take off my clothes and tie them and make it no, no that's dumb uh and so and then we jump back and he's just kind of thinking about it and then we jump back over and he's just like the dagger i snuck in is a, a misty step dagger which lets him do misty step nice misty steps down to the to the ground without any sort of issue just looking down from the window <laughs> and he just sneaks back to their house in the city <laughs> Meanwhile, the other thing is ending, and all of a sudden, fire. someone runs down and yells, the, the house is on fire. <laughs> and so they all have to clear out. 
some of the mages go to help try and put it out. And it's just, it's, it's a running theme in our campaign. It's that they, the players just set crap on fire. They've, they've <laughs> accidentally killed a woman uh, using burning hands. What the, the cleric, uh, burned out the the poor old like smuggler boat guy mm-hmm. the they burned down a forest while they were <laughs> taming their their two their two wolves <laughs> and now they've <laughs> one of them burned a freaking house down with a rug of smothering that got into a fireplace and caught on fire and started flopping around the the office as that. one does that yeah so that <laughs> the, the party ended up being far more eventful than i originally thought it was it was going to be but uh it it worked out it was fun um they got their stuff together they teleported uh, they were able to get one of the mages to teleport them closer to the city so they didn't have you know two weeks of a travel time going in and they finally and the we kind of ended the night off on this big combat because we hadn't had a combat for a few sessions just because of all the the stuff that had been going on and so and it was it was a big one it was uh it was a great intro thing this uh, custom like necromancer guy raised a bunch of skeletons there was two banshees uh one of them dropped two of them with a whale like pretty pretty off the bat so that was kind of kind of set uh an interesting stage (laughs) right right at the beginning um and i've actually got the battle map and stuff out now because i've used incarnate's battle map feature to to make some battle maps for these Mm -hmm. these things and so they go in and they attack and the monk goes in and fights starts fighting this necromancer uh and it's 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 a really good battle overall they do well um, they managed to get their two people back up and healed up some. Um, one of the big things about my monk is that in his backstory, something has caused him to have vulnerability to necrotic damage. Hmm. And so the whole thing with this guy was that he was built to have uh, this special reaction when he died, right before he died, called last words. Okay. And so it, it would only work if he was in melee combat with someone. It just so happened he was in melee combat with the monk. When the monk landed the killing blow, activates his last words. And he does this whole big like, welcome to Erangel. And then shoves these two necrotic daggers from underneath his cloak straight into the monk does like 30 some points of damage which is doubled because of the monk's vulnerability to necrotic damage brings him down to like three hit points as he kind of just crumbles and fades away the last skeleton dies instantly because it's linked to the necromancer and that's cool and he's just slumps down to the side and that's where we ended the session off and so it was, it was a nice little, I, I thought it, uh, it was a super fun session. We all had a really good time and it, I think it introed really well a little piece of what they're going to be dealing with going forward. Very cool. Very, very cool. So it should be, it's, I'm very, I'm very excited for it. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, finally getting to Wallowdale myself. I'm really excited to hear about the, the fallout of uh, of your stuff. That I mean, 
you've got some good stuff going on some awesome hooks there's there's some crazy craziness going on and level 10 we're level 10 now and so and that's what i that's what i told him like uh we're we're past the like the point of pulling punches mm-hmm. like most dms will will give your player some leeway when you're at lower levels and you know it people are learning and you're learning and counterbalancing that type of stuff yeah uh, so you're you're gonna you a lot of times you'll err on the on the safer side and that that type of thing or um you'll if, if something was way harder than you intended it to be um you can do creative things to kind of to kind of help those situations but i was like we're level 10 now like there is there is no punch pulling this is yeah serious business there is really bad stuff happening here see i'm gonna take all your wits and all your (laughs) skills to to survive this place I thought that I wasn't pulling punches and turns out I need two more giants. So <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, add two giants. Exactly. That's the you know what? That, the story. that is going to be what's going to happen from now on. Just giants everywhere. Yeah. When in doubt, add two giants. It's a world of giants. World of giants. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that is our show uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for listening um, and coming along with us. Uh, but before we head out, Ben, why don't you tell everybody where they can reach us so that you guys can communicate with us and that we can uh, give you feedback or we can even do some shows based on stuff you want to listen to. Yeah. Well, one of the best places is, uh, believe it or not, this antiquated thing called email. Uh, if you send us an email to dndiscussions at gmail.com, we do read them. We'd like to hear from you. Um, and basically this is for something that's long form. If you have, you know, like a, a bunch of different questions or, or suggestions or uh, just some cool stories that you want to share with us, that's a great place to do it because uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to do something a little more short form and we'll most likely get a, a response much faster, you can always tweet at us. And that is at DN Discussions. Now, Ryan and I both have access to that account. So we're able to uh, take a look, uh, respond as soon as we're able um, you, you tend to be able to respond a lot faster than I do most of the time, but um, I do get my input in there when I can. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Make sure to check the, both of those out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Ryan, if they're looking for you specifically, uh, what's the best place? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZool. All right. If you're looking for me, I am at Ben Bumhofer on Twitter. And of course, if this is the first episode you've ever heard and you want to hear more, or if this just you know, randomly stumbled upon it in some sort of podcasting, uh, you know, app or whatever. Guess what? Every single episode that we have ever done is available on dndiscussions.com. And it should also be available on like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, just, you know, all those places. So make sure to check that out. And of course, uh, I don't know what else I was going to say. I was going to plug the email again for some reason, but I'm like, I just did that. Um, however, uh, if you do want to hear us play, uh, currently I'm playing on a game, uh, plus five to hit. We're just running, doing some dungeons and stuff. And, uh, we're going to be moving back into our, our season two slash three something campaign soon here. And, uh, Ryan, where else can people, uh, go if they're trying to hear you play some, uh, some fantastic Dungeons and Dragons? Well, right now. That's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much it right now, uh, from a, from a time perspective. But I will be rejoining Plus Five to Hit 
as we uh, jump back into our main story to, to wrap up that season and potentially beyond um, <laughs> my lifetime permitting. So uh, I am excited to do that. And if, uh, if that does happen, most likely you will see me play them. <laughs> Which I really decided. hope so because they are so much fun. As you know, I mean, we could spend another hour just basically saying over and over again, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool, too. Yep, exactly. Uh, So uh, we hopefully all have some really fun stuff coming for next episode. But until then, take care, everybody. And we will see you soon. Roll high and be good to each other.